Ja, ja. PSV niet. PSV pakt de Europacup. Van Breutelen. Doet het. De man van het bolletje. Die een geweldig jaar de Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Ramble On. It's lovely to have you with us. My name is Marcus, and Charlie, our twinkly-eyed producer, is with me. Charlie, I always feel that these Ramble On sessions—it's like we're, you know, we're in uh, your little living room or something, or your uh, your drawing room, and we're sitting down. The lights are dim, and we're thinking, what can we talk about today from the archives of football? Would you say that's the that's the mood setting that the listeners need to know? That's I get into that mindset every time. Make little little bit of jazz piano in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Roaring fire, indeed. Something from football history. Of course, we are we are recording remotely, ladies and gentlemen. So do not fear. Um, but today is, uh, if you're listening to this on the day it's put out, of course, is the 24th of May. Well, tomorrow, that means it's the 25th of May, which is a very important date in in the history books. Now, around this time, there's finals are being played. Normally, of course. Uh, in in the football seasons, and and the twenty fifth of May is is an anniversary of of a few things in the footballing calendar. But I'd like to to draw your attention to the nineteen eighty eight European Cup final, which PSV Eindhoven won, and they clinched a treble that season. Charlie, it's an amazing season from PSV that year. It was an incredible year for Dutch football. Of course, the national team would win Euro eighty eight as well. But I feel that this—I don't know that much about this side and this uh, this um, this team that won the the treble in nineteen eighty eight. And of course, it was the only the third time a club had won a treble in a, in a season. The traditional treble of the league, the main cup competition in that country, or the only cup competition in in some countries, and of course the top prize in Europe, which was then called the European Cup. Celtic had done it, although they'd done a quadruple, I think, that season in 67. Ajax had done it in 72, but we had a long wait until another side did it, which was, of course, PSV in in 1988. Are you aware of this side? Did you know much about them? Uh, Not really. I had to admit, when you you suggested we talked about it, um, I did have to get stuck into uh, some of the archival information. (laughs) Uh, I think it's... It's weird. I think what you say about the treble there is absolutely spot on. So obviously I know a few of the names involved in the PSV side, but it's primarily because of what they've gone on to do in more recent times, whether it's like in the media or yeah. management like Koeman or sort or uh, Hiddink still. But yeah, it's sort of, as a modern football fan, I guess, being, you know, being younger and having to look back at this stuff mm-hmm. historically, trebles just seem a more sort of common parlance now for like your your elite sides, you'd expect them to win the treble. You know, if Barcelona don't go far in a particular competition, regardless of if they've won the other two, it's sort of seen as a, quite a bit of a failure. Whereas, as you said, back then, it was it was way more sort of rare and way more sort of special when it happened. Of course, yeah. I mean, we would wait 11 years after PSV, Manchester United in 99. Then 10 years after that, Barcelona in 2009, so that the years are, or the gaps are getting slightly shorter. And then we would just have one year after that, when Inter won it in 2010, Bayern won it in 2013, trebles, of course, and then Barcelona won their second treble in 2015. So in the last 10 years, or 11 years, we've seen four trebles, four treble-winning sides. Whereas in the previous goodness knows how long, you'd only had 
uh, so it was since before 2009, only four teams, male teams, had won uh, treble Celtic, Ajax, PSV and Manchester United. And then, of course, uh, we, we, we've seen four treble winning sides, two of them, of course, being Barcelona in the, in the last 11 years. So even though it's still seen as an amazing achievement, it, it is very, very rare. We can't stress enough. But this PSV side who won it were, I mean, they were incredible. So, so think about the European Cup, if you will, ladies and gentlemen, in the, the sort of the mid to late 80s. Now, we should say that English clubs weren't participating in, in European competitions at this time due to the ban given after the Heysel Stadium disaster, of course. Uh, but Stoy Bucharest had won the European Cup in 1986, beating Terry Venables Barcelona in the final on penalties, if my memory serves me well. Then FC Porto won it in 1987, beating Bayern Munich in the final. So... There were still big sides knocking around. It was it was a different type, it was a different competition. You didn't have these elite sides. So I mean, imagine that you've got Stoyer or Stower, uh, Porto, and then and then PSV winning it all those years in, in that little in a row before Milan came along and started to dominate. And so it was an amazing time. Um, and Gus Hiddink was in charge of of PSV. Now, Charlie, you're aware of Gus Hiddink's work probably, I'm guessing, at what, Chelsea? Yeah. Probably South Korea. Would you remember that? Uh, I remember him being there, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. I remember... Um, Australia? No, no Australia. the only one I remember is, Ru- is Russia when they... Uh, yeah. they who do they, do they beat? They beat Holland, didn't they? In, in the Euro, uh, 2008, you'd have to go back. To. Oh, God. Yeah. But that's all I can... Yeah, I mean, he, I sort of... He is one of those perennial figures mm. who's just always knocking about. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but well, yeah, I didn't realise he went back this far. Well, no, no I, even I was a bit like, bloody hell, Hiddick was in charge. I mean, I know he's been knocking around for a while, but it shows you what a tactical mind he has. And we'll get on to a little bit of tactics chat with, with this, but not too much for, for you know obvious reasons. But uh, the longevity he's had in the game, now I know he has become this slightly, he's like a... Nowadays, he's he's like a much more successful version of Sven. Yes, I had to get the mention in there. But you know, like he's a kind of a bit of a bit of a gun for hire. Whereas, yeah. whereas as you mentioned, you know, he was very successful with South Korea and did and did well with Russia and so on. Uh, so he he became that even as interim manager of Chelsea, they remember him very fondly there. But this season, you know, he was only forty one at the time. He'd taken over as PSV manager in March eighty seven. Had previously been the assistant. Uh, and and this was where his name was really put on the footballing map, um, going on to to you know other successes and, and, and so on. But PSV at the time, you know, they had some decent players. But but even when you look back, th- there's there's an obvious one in Ronald Koeman. Um Now I would remember the goalkeeper Hans van Broekelen, who was a, who was a decent keeper, got a number of uh, uh, caps for for the Dutch national side. Other than that, I mean, Wim Kieft up front, people mm-hmm. may know him. Um, Aberdeen fans would know Hans uh, Hillhouse. Uh, Eric Jurette, the right back, the, the, the Belgian. Again, I vaguely remember. This is not the kind of the Milan side who won the trophy, was it a year or, you know, certainly won a couple of European Cups around that time. We've got Van Basten and Rijkaard, yeah. crazy, and Costa Curta and these types of players. So it, it, was, it was a decent side, but they'd sold Rude Hullet to Milan around that time. So it even though you know English clubs weren't in, involved and in, you know one or two other bits and pieces, an incredible achievement nonetheless. But let's let's talk about that uh, immaculate defence, Charlie, if, oh. if we may. I mean, th- they played nine matches in the European Cup that season. They scored nine goals. 
Um, that, so they averaged a goal per game. They they conceded five. Um, they kept clean sheets against Bordeaux in the quarterfinals and Real Madrid in the semifinals. A very decent Real Madrid side, we should add. And they kept clean sheets and and, and played out nil nils because they knew in both games they'd drawn the first leg one all. They knew a nil nil would do them because they'd go through mm. an away goal. I mean, seems, is, it seems alien to think that now, as you know. Yeah, I guess in the last but, sort of five years, especially European competition, is there's been some obscene games probably on the back of teams you know focusing on attack and that's mm. kind of their wheelhouse and where you don't see this sort of backs against the wall sure it up and then you know ensure the nil nil that's that's a that's a ballsy strategy to go down but as you said they worked it all through the competition and I guess why change it if it was working so well yeah well you're right it is a ballsy thing to do and and the second legs were at home as well yeah so, you got that advantage yeah. Again, the pressure, though, to go out and get a goal and see it off, they thought, no, at the moment, as it stands, nil-nil, we're good. So let's just hold this. <laughs> and that, yes, it's boring. Yes, it's not probably good to watch and all the rest of it. But to be able to go out and do that against Bordeaux, who I don't know much about that era, but it's still a quarterfinal of a European Cup, and then Real Madrid in the semifinal, it shows you how the manager prepped and planned for that game and how his how his how his detail and his and his tactics would have been and also for those players to go out and execute that for for a defender like Ronald Koeman who half the time when you watch highlights of them he's up in the box the opposition's box trying to get on the end of something yeah, you know, yeah that was mad to see there's uh, I was looking back at the uh, some of the goals on their route to the final where them yeah. in their uh, first sort of round of 32 game against Galatasaray you sort of uh, yeah Koeman gets the ball and he's like on the corner of the box and I sort of I sort of assume Ronald Koeman looking back as he was a central defender who could he could obviously play he was a phenomenal footballer but oh. you associate playing out from the back and being comfortable yep. on the ball in tight spaces and stuff but he's like on the corner of the box and he like rolls the defender who like trips over himself and falls down and then yeah. he just slots it home and then this lovely little like Robbie Keane forward roll celebration so it's yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. but you're like what is Ronald doing up there Glorious, isn't it? but you know what's really interesting is is, is watching because there is that video on YouTube accompanied by some oh, bizarre some... metal music oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had that down when you watch that video which is only about sort of four and a half minutes because again they didn't score that many um, but there wasn't that many games I suppose compared to um, other uh, Champions League now. But I, I, I noticed that every goal went in the way they all celebrated together as a team. And I thought that's it really, I noted it in my mind's eye. And then and then reading a few articles around this, Hiddink said that, you know, he wanted to build his team on defence and and a, a spirit of togetherness. Mm. Now, the, stat, the stats back up in the competition, the stats back up defensive solidarity but also it was interesting that I saw that you know you saw the togetherness of that side when they were celebrating those goals as I said they, they only played nine matches in the competition that season because that was that was the the, the nature of um, of the European Cup then as opposed to now uh, they only won three of those nine matches if we don't include penalty shootouts obviously I know that sounds a bit stupid because obviously the penalty shoot is decisive, but if you see what I mean in the sort of the ninety or even the one hundred and twenty minutes, so that, so they were very very cautious um, in that that European Cup, and people might say, oh well, maybe they weren't that an entertaining side. Well, actually, they won the league at home, winning twenty seven out of thirty four games, losing just twice, scoring one hundred and seventeen goals. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? The so, two so, unbelievably like contrasting. It's absolutely phenomenal. It. it 
again, it just shows you how teams would approach the competition so differently, especially back in those days where you didn't have the resources now to, to do your homework against the opposition and how away goals, you know, it's the reason why it was introduced is because years ago going away, it, it was seen as a much bigger thing than, than nowadays, of course. And I say 117 goals. I mean, I, I desperately tried to find out stats from that season from the Eredivisie. And, the, and I think, you know, I found one place that said they scored 99 goals, but most places were saying they did score 117 goals that season. Either way, the point stands. They did this, <laughs> you know, in 34 games. So it was, it was a good scoring rate. They only conceded 28 goals that season. So if we go with 117 which, as I say, seems to be the most reliable stat. The goal average was 89. Ajax finished second that season and had a goal average of 38. <laughs> so it shows you just how blisteringly good they were yeah. that season at home. Um, they won the, uh, the the cup as well. The, the only odd thing about this season was they won the cup. They beat um, Rodder, forgive pronunciation, in the final, who finished that. They finished about sort of 15th or 16th, and it took them to extra time to win 3 2. And you think, oh, what happened there then, lads? Uh, you, you know, <laughs> the game plan didn't quite go to plan, but of course, you still won the cup nonetheless. But, but absolutely phenomenal. Um, they, they, they were in that, that, uh, that, that the league and, and the European Cup. But as you say, Charlie, it shows you. The, the approach that Hiddink had with the contrast of the two. Mm. It's amazing as well, because if you look at the uh, their opposition, obviously they played Benfica in the final. Yeah. And Benfica as well, um, I guess the difference mm. here is across all of their competitions, they were sort of quite conservative in how they went about it. So obviously they won their the first round against um, Partizani, the Albanian side. I mean, they only had to play one leg because of I was reading that four Partizani players got sent off in the first leg and UEFA banned them for the second, so they weren't got a walkover. And then in the rest of the matches, you know, it was like one nils and there was a nil-nil at AGF mm. and then another nil-nil against Stal Bucharest in the semi-final. And in their like league season as well is the exact same thing. So finished second with like sort of a, you know, a decent return, but quite conservative in there, both goals scored and goals conceded runners up in the super tasha and got to the semi-final so there's a lot of like nearly but not quite for benfica that season and i guess it sets up what you know plays out to be exactly as the script suggests an unbelievably boring final (laughs) (laughs) because reading this guy uh barry van ayla the uh winger for for eindhoven who played in that game and uh yeah i remember like reading him it being interviewed about it and he's just said it was not a very good match but no. <laughs> both teams are so cautious and obviously their nil-nil is utterly reflective of it yeah even in the the, the shootout itself at the end it finished 6-5 I mean 12 penalties were taken only one was missed it was saved by Van Brooklyn of course you know this, <laughs> even the shootout was quite um, sort of machine-like yeah, yeah very much so Looking at a couple of the players in that that PSV side, and we've mentioned uh, the, the goalkeeper and, and Kuman. Two forwards were interesting because, again, from what I found, it seemed like they were very basically playing a sort of a four four two. Although it's it's Gus Hiddink, it's a European Cup, it's it's a Dutch side. Goodness knows, I've it's probably a two three five or something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but 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 definitely two of the forwards, as we mentioned, um, Hans Hillhouse, who went on to play for Aberdeen and won the Scottish Cup for them. Um, he scored three goals in the European Cup that year and was the only player to score more than one for PSV. All the goals were shared out fairly evenly elsewhere in the side, which 
suggests again the formation might have been a slightly fluid but then I might be reading a bit more into that than than what is necessary but Vim Kieft is an interesting one he started at Ajax among the likes of Van Basten and Frank Rijkaard with his career so he was in good company now this I again if there's a story here and I've no doubt there is I don't know it so so forgive me for that but he was about 19 years old, around that age, in the 1981-82 season, when Ajax won the league. And he was the league's top scorer, scoring 32 goals. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal year. He won the European Golden Boot. A year later, he went to Pisa in Italy. <laughs> now, you might, be thinking, yeah, you, might be thinking to, <laughs> you might be thinking to yourself, oh, well, maybe Pisa were, were... No, no. Th- got that first season, they got relegated. <laughs> and then the second season, they went back up to, to Serie A. Now, again, if I'm missing something here, please forgive me. But f- going from winning the league with Ajax in those in those days, you know, one of the biggest clubs in or the biggest sides in Europe, you would say, European golden boot, to then going to a side who are fighting relegation and, of course, did get relegated in Italy. I mean, again, it could have been a wages thing. That maybe this was like going to China nowadays, back in the day. I do not know. But again, Pisa don't, they don't strike me as ever being a big side. <laughs> um, and, and then and then he came back to uh, – well, he went to Torino, I think, and then he came back to, um, to the Netherlands, you know, cleaned up at PSV uh, and then went to Bordeaux, tried his hand didn't, in, in terms of the scoring, didn't work out so well. So he went back again to Dutch football. And the Eredivisie was where he did his finest work. Um, but but a very interesting career uh, with him, Keith. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. But but five of the, uh, the PSV side won a fourth medal that season. As I mentioned, they won Euro 88 with, with the Netherlands. Three of them, Van Brockel and Koeman and Vandenberg, started in the final. I mean, can you imagine what a year for oh, those that is players. amazing. Yeah, that is it's awesome. Absolute, <laughs> it's absolutely different class. You win a treble, an unlikely treble, with this, with this PSV side with a young coach. Great togetherness. You absolutely blitz the league and then you you you, you cling on in there and win the, the, the European Cup and then win the European Championships, the, the first and only major trophy of course in in the history of Dutch football despite coming very very close indeed in in the World Cup so so incredible write your name in the history books uh so a phenomenal year and it's a a little bit of a shame that that we don't know too much about that that season really you know even doing a bit of basic research you know there's not that much but I'm sure it's remembered very fondly from uh from some of the Eindhovians uh no doubt Charlie yeah I think the uh it's I guess it comes at sort of a pivotal moment when the rest of European football is changing quite dramatically, obviously with a high school band. So Liverpool, who you'd have imagined with that sort of side through the eighties would have swept up and maybe won a couple more European cups. They obviously weren't involved. Everton as well. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, as you said, Saki's Milan, just not quite, that's kind of on the ascendancy, but they're not the team that they go on to be yet. And then elsewhere in Italy, like that, Platini, Juventus side, mm-hmm. they were kind of on the wane. So you're kind of left with this sort of awkward middle ground, I guess, which is why it makes it a lot more even playing field, which is mm-hmm. why, um, you know, you get Porto winning it and sorry, the year before. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, which I mean, it's a shame just because now you see, you still see upsets, but they're normally upsets between big sides where the you know the odds are stacked against a particular side it's very rare that you see the elite sort of properly challenged by the likes of you know PSV or even Inter or Lazio in Italy or Lyon or Monaco or something like that it's very rare that those happen which is a bit of a shame because it's an amazing story 
Mm. That's it not is, to say that this is obviously a team of scrappy underdogs, because obviously, as you <laughs> said, they, they go on to win the Euros. <laughs> They're not a team of mugs or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I find it interesting that, as I say, looking back, you know, there's there's not too many sort of huge names in there. There's a few Danish players as well that that contributed, but it's the coach really, and obviously Kuman who would be the the, the kind of the standouts. Um, but what what I find incredible that is that in two thousand four. And 2005, PSV nearly did it again under Gusinic. I mean, I, I totally forgotten about this, but you know, you move forward on, you move football f- forward a bit into those years, and and we're beginning to see the big teams really kind of dominate. Not in a way that they do now, but but it, it is happening, and money is talking uh, louder than than ever before in the game. But yeah, so PSV. I mean, you look at that 2004-05 season. They sold Iron Robin. They sold Matai Kesman. Now I know Kesman didn't do very well at Chelsea, but he was a big player for them. John Dal, uh, not John, uh, sorry, um, Dennis Romadal uh, was sold as well. So they sold some important players. They went on to win the league. They won the cup and they reached the semi-finals of the Champions League, only being beaten by um, by by AC Milan on away goals. And they they would have played, of course, Liverpool in the final. Now don't get me wrong. I'm I'm very happy with that piece of history as it turned out in that in that European Cup final. <laughs> you know, we were or Champions League final. We were given one of the the great finals. It was phenomenal, and and not a Liverpool fan, but but it was so good to see them uh, come back and win the trophy. So again, I, I don't want to kind of start to alter history in my mind's eye, but for the sake of this chat, PSV was so were a whisker away. Um, from from reaching that Champions League final and would have set up a, a game against Liverpool, which they would have had. A, I mean, if they'd have done a treble that year, that would have just been incredible. Oh, obscene. I mean, that that side had Jorelio Gomez in goal. They had Alex and, and Boomer at the back. Van Bommel and Koku in the centre of the pitch. You know, I mean, my goodness. Um, Park G. Sung, Jef- Jefferson Farfan up front and, and Jan oh, Venegor of Hesling. Jefferson Farfan as well. What? Yeah. Some, lovely, some lovely names in there. I know, I know. So yeah, they, they were so close again. But yeah, I just it was it was quite nice to 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 have a little research on this PSV treble winning side of nineteen eighty eight because it is a kind of a forgotten one in there. We we I mean in this country in 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 Great Britain we obviously remember or, or are well aware of Celtic in in sixty seven and rightly so first uh, uh, you know British side to win the the, the cup. Um, Ajax in 72 we may not know about that specifically being a trouble but I think football fans would be aware of the great Ajax side of 72 and, and Dutch football in the 70s in general we obviously know Milan, uh, Manchester United in 99 and then the recent ones of course they're just so fresh in the memory Barcelona, Inter and Bayern but this one I think is it's almost like the, the forgotten treble in my mind anyway I don't want to put words in other people's mouths but but uh, but it's so fascinating, and the contrast, as I say, the way they approach the league and the European Cup that season, absolutely glorious. So so um, so yeah, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. I, I enjoyed that. I hope you did as well, Charlie. Uh, you you uh, you know you always like a little bit of football history. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. If we didn't think enough of Goose Hiddink, uh, you know, there you are. There's a bit more. Um, admiration for, for the great man so there we are thank you very much for listening to this ramble it's been an absolute pleasure uh, let us know what you think uh, in the discord of course um, until, until the next time stay safe go well and uh, enjoy the sunshine Arrivederci This was a Stakhanov production